And before we get started with this week's episode of Rising as One Podcast, we'd like to thank our partners, Firebird Rising, the Beautiful Game Network, and Oro Brewing Company. You can check out Firebird Rising on the web at firebirdrising.corair, that's K-O-R-R-A-I-R.com, the Beautiful Game Network at bgn.fm, and Oro Brewing Company is located in downtown Mesa, so if you're out in the East Valley, go check them out, and remember to use the code word RISING after any Phoenix Rising win for happy hour pricing. We would also like to thank our listeners for the continued support. If you enjoy this podcast, please do us a favor and leave us some feedback on iTunes or drop us a line on Twitter at RisingPod. Let's get to the show. Welcome to this week's edition of Rising as One Podcast. I'm your co-host Matt Trainer, joined here today by Jeff Went and Dominic Kearns. Guys, we have a lot of news to talk about this week. Uh, Phoenix Rising was able to uh, finish the season off of the regular season with another home victory against Portland T2. Uh, now Phoenix Rising heads into Swope Park next week to begin the USL playoff. So we'll get into that match review and preview. Uh, along with other scores around the league, final standings, and we'll dive into the USL playoff picture and give you our predictions. But before we get started on that, uh, as we promised on Twitter, we do have a lot to talk about with the U.S. men's national team failing to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. As we all know, uh, U.S. men's national team just needed a draw this past week at Trinidad and Tobago, and were unable to come away with that draw. So, as you guys are probably aware by now, Bruce Arena has stepped down as head coach of the U.S. men's national team. I don't think that's a a big shock to anybody. Uh, My personal opinion is I think there needs to be deeper changes than that. Jeff, Dominic, what are your your thoughts on the disappointing U.S. men's national team results, um, the positive Phoenix Rising results, and other scores from the USL this week? I mean, uh, as we expected, a nice win for Phoenix you know, those first 13 minutes, we were looking like we really could take a shot at getting those nine goals that we needed to jump into fourth fourth uh, position, but pretty pretty convincing win nonetheless. And then a lot more surprising was the fact that the U.S. went out and laid an egg in Trinidad to lose 2-1, coupled with Honduras and Panama both getting second-half comebacks, knocks the U.S. out of the World Cup for the first time in my life. Uh, I think first time since 1986, so uh, it's going to be a weird feeling not seeing us at the World Cup, but it's still going to be a great tournament. Yeah, yeah it was... they had, what, like a 83% chance to win? Uh... Yeah, that they did, and, uh, you know, it's just so disheartening to see that result happen the way it did, and and unfortunately for the United States, it's back to the drawing board at this point now. And obviously, you know, the news came down later this week that Bruce Arena resigned. You know, not really a total surprise, you know, you know, to, to a lot of us because we all kind of knew that, that Bruce was really sticking just to this cycle and he wasn't going to be around for the next cycle. So it's no surprise there. And it'll be interesting to see how the search goes now at this point you know, to find a new men's national coach and kind of see where the direction of, of this program goes. But, you know, on the flip side, a great result from Phoenix Rising, obviously, you know, 
after the results of Wednesday's games, you know, with, with San Antonio winning and with Swope Park winning, it kind of made, you know, Phoenix's fate pretty much sealed. So, but, you know, like, uh, like Patrice had mentioned a, a lot of times, you know, he didn't want these guys falling into a trap, and it was nice to see the lineup that he put out there get a solid win, get themselves prepared uh, as they head into the playoffs this next week. Yeah, when I saw that lineup, I was like, all right, they're going for the 9-0 win, you know. <laughs> and the first 15 minutes, holy crap, that was uh, that was a pretty intense game. That was awesome. The crowd the crowd was fired up there last night along with uh, both the Los Bandidos and La Feria Roja. They were all firing on all cylinders last night. It was good. Um, but, yeah, let's get into the uh, the U.S. men's national team. I mean, uh, Bruce, like you said, Bruce Arena stepped down. This wasn't much of a surprise. Um, I don't know about your guy, about your guys' opinions, but um, it was kind of expected, and I don't think that's really going to uh, change much. You know, I think there's some deeper changes that need to happen to really improve the U.S. men's soccer team. Um, what are your guys' kind of feelings about this change, and you know, maybe who do you think is a potential candidate. I mean, I don't know that we really need to rush into a new candidate because uh, we've got a few years till we have any meaningful matches, really. Yeah, I think the uh, the biggest takeaway here is that Bruce Arena was called in to do one job, and his one job was to get the U.S. the World Cup. And he's a guy that's been a very famous manager going back to the U.S. in 2002 and 2006, then managing the Galaxy to several MLS Cups, a guy that brings so much experience, so much uh, tactical experience, you would think, uh, to a team that desperately needed it. And you're thinking, okay, he's going to be pragmatic and help us get the results we need. And yet you did not see that in the most important games of this cycle. Against Costa Rica, we play center backs way separated from each other, when, as it turned out, one point from that match would have been just fine. It would have gotten us into the World Cup, that's a match we need to at least draw. And, you know, by trying to be too open in that situation, we kind of got burned. And it's tough because sometimes being very open leads to great results, like the 4-0 Panama win last Friday. Feels like a million years ago now. But uh, that can... Even in that win, there were nervy moments at the back where Panama wasn't able to make us pay. Well, you go against another team on a different day... Uh, where the defense is, again, very flawed, very sloppy, and it comes back to bite you. I mean, Omar Gonzalez with that own goal, yeah, it's a little unlucky, but at the same time, you have to do better with that ball. And then that goes to asking, why is Omar Gonzalez in at center back and not Jeff Cameron, who's been playing in the Premier League for years, who's healthy, what is he doing out of the lineup in a match that we need to have a a clean sheet gets us to the World Cup. So I don't understand why you're trying to play such an open formation on the road when we've struggled on road matches. You can't win every match 3-4-0. Sometimes you need to be pragmatic, take your chances. Even against a team on paper that doesn't look very good like Trinidad. Uh, the second goal, I mean, that's crazy. But, you know, and then at that point, U.S. may be unlucky to not draw it. Uh, Dempsey hit the post, but... That's that's looking at the small picture. What you need to do is look at the large picture as to why we were even in this position in the first place. Because with the talent pool that we have, we have no business needing a result 
in that last game to start with. We have no business losing at home to Mexico, no business losing at home to Costa Rica, no business getting zero away wins in this cycle. You know, you can't expect the world all the time, but there are certain things that just need to be done. And losing to Trinidad and Tobago on a field where they don't even have 5,000 fans in attendance, and all you need is a draw to go to the World Cup, and you barely even see any team spirit, that's unacceptable. That's why Arena has to be out of here, and we need to find someone that can make this defense respectable again. Uh, they need to find their Patrice Carterone to rescue the defense because it is some sort of mess right now. Trinidad could have even had a penalty that wasn't called. Just for the record, they're not allowed to take Patrice. Carterone, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, he does you know, have international managing experience. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Got Molly to well, a higher you know, to rank your than point, we are, but... To your point, Dominic, you know, amen as to why Jeff Cameron was not on the field. I mean, it just – I didn't understand that either. He's healthy. He's playing. You know, why is he not a center – you know, why is he not on the field in the most important game of the year? It just boggles the mind, and that makes me wonder, you know, if, if Arena was really the best choice. You know, I, yeah, he's a name, and yeah, he's led us in the past, but – Maybe he wasn't, you know, the best man for the job at this point in his career. You know, a name I'd like to maybe see as the next coach of the U.S. men's national team, and I don't know if he'd take it or not. But if if Caleb Porter would be interested in leaving Portland, that would be an interesting draw to me to see him coach the men's national team. But I don't know that he would want to leave Port Portland to 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 even dabble in the men's job I, I just I can't see that happening but I mean he would to me he would be a, a wonderful choice because you know how he turned things around there for for the Timbers you know the last couple of years and 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 what he's done in his career I think he would be a great choice and another person who I think would be also be a good choice might be Tab Ramos I mean look at what he's done with the U20 team and got them turned around and and got things going there I mean that would be an interesting choice too so you know we'll see but you know, maybe the biggest change has to start at the top. Maybe Sunil Gladi needs to go. Maybe his time has come and gone as as being the men's, you know, being in charge of the of the U.S. program. You know, maybe they just need to rip it up and start looking in a new direction, get a new, fresh perspective, new, fresh set of eyes on this thing. So, you know, I think that's maybe where the things need to start is right at the top. Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like. Uh, he's kind of hesitant to. Well, obviously, he doesn't want to leave that position, but uh, he's kind of negotiating the deal, so so to say, for the 2026 bid. Uh, but I think you could easily find somebody to continue that process and get that change in there immediately. Uh, I just wanted to mention this tweet I saw. I wish I would have saved the screenshot of her who tweeted it, but uh, somebody had a really good idea because uh, you know part of the issue is uh, maybe youth development in the U.S. and you know, we don't maybe don't have the strongest talent pool. Um, somebody suggested that you set a rule where MLS teams uh, have a zero dollar salary like uh, salary cap impact for any um, player that they train and bring up through the youth system for life. Basically, meaning it's incentive for MLS teams to really um, grow that talent at the youth level and maybe improve the U.S. pool a little bit. I thought that was a pretty uh, unique idea and 
course, uh, any team would like to have a, a zero dollar impact to their salary cap, right? But of course. Just kind of some <laughs> thoughts that people have out there, you know. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, you know still still a little salty about that result, but uh, you know even if we would have made it, we probably wouldn't have made it very far, but it would have been at least nice to lose in the World Cup, you know? Um, so so we'll, let's just put that behind us, I guess, uh, unless you guys have anything else to talk about the U.S. men's national No, team. I mean, there's there's still going to be a lot of talk about different names for this coaching yeah. uh, search. The only thing I would say is maybe uh, maybe let's try to look outside the box for this one and go with someone that does have uh, one international experience or at least some experience before taking this job and two um a track record of defensive success because that it just seems like we've gotten too lax on that end you know going back several years now uh and that's something we just need to have stronger tactics defensively i think everyone can agree with that and that's really anything on top of that would just be a bonus but Yep, definitely agree there. So, um, well, with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the match uh, review against Portland Timbers from last night. Uh, Phoenix won four to one. Uh, well, they came out guns blazing, and they were they were shooting for the nine nil victory that they needed for home field advantage, and they were on pace for that for the first thirty minutes, and then uh, things kind of slowed down a little bit. But wow, they looked very very good last night. What, what were your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I mean. Basically, right from the get-go, we were out there to uh, to score some goals. But Jeff, did you want to uh, go in a little bit more detail about this one? Yeah, we'll kind of go through this a little bit. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, when you when when right off the bat, thirty seconds into the game, Didier Drogba's firing a shot, you know, into the box that gets blocked, uh, and, and almost gets through for the first goal of the night right away. I mean, you're going, geez, this is going to be a crazy night. You're thinking maybe. Maybe they are going to get nine goals out of this one. But, uh, you know, four minutes in, Kevon Lambert finally gets his first for Phoenix Rising. You know, nice nice shot from the from outside the box there from about 30 yards out, a, a low screaming right footer that just uh, went to uh, the the right of the keeper and, and right in the back of the net. And, you know, off, off they go running, you know. And another nine minutes later, you get – a goal from Chris Cortez, you know, from from across from Didier Drogba, and all of a sudden it's two nothing after 13 minutes. And you're going, wow, how the heck did this happen? And and where has this been, you know, for the most part of the season? But uh, you know, good start, good start to the match. I mean, you can't ask for anything better than that. Um, you know, you go through the, you know, you go through the most of the rest of the first half. You know, Portland gets a shot off in the 29th minute. Uh, you know, that that uh, misses to the left side. You know, then they come back another minute later and they uh, miss a shot from uh, Augustine Williams. Uh, you know, then uh, then Portland gets another attempt in the 42nd. So it's, it's kind of like after that 25, 30-minute mark, Phoenix kind of settled in and kind of let the play come to them a little bit. You know, but uh, get out of the half 2 nothing. obviously, you know, big, you know, big help just for confidence I think more than anything else I think they knew at that point the nine nothing was going to be unobtainable you know but uh, but you know what can you say just 
I think the important thing, like I stressed earlier, you know, when we started this podcast, you know, Patrice wanted to make sure that these guys were staying in form as the season comes to an end and as we head to the playoffs. Obviously, that was that was the motivation for this game more than getting the nine goals. It was the motivation of having that win, having that good feeling as you go ahead in the playoffs. So, obviously, the start, very important for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think that sends a pretty good message to other teams, just showing that how strong Phoenix still really is. And uh, I would bet that Swope Park probably isn't looking forward to us uh, coming to visit them. No, and, uh, you know, maybe just talk about the goals for a couple of seconds. That first shot by Kevon Lambert, did you guys see the slow-motion replay of that thing, how it bent uh, midair? That was pretty crazy. It, it was starting looking like it was going to go to the keeper's left, and it totally veered back to his right you know would Cohen have saved that yeah he would have uh you probably want more from the keeper <laughs> in that situation but uh we're gonna yeah. take it but there's no stopping that second goal where Didier Drogba put in a phenomenal ball and then Cortez from oh, a pretty man. tough angle one times it with his left foot and basically just roofs it no chance for the keeper to save that so uh, kind of showing our quality yeah. that we've had the second half of the season on that goal. That was awesome. Yeah, the supporter section was going crazy after both of those goals. And that uh, the Lambert goal, I was kind of setting uh, the supporter section off to the east side of the net and had just a direct view of that ball bending. And it was, it was like I was watching it in slow motion. It was, it was a beautiful shot. So uh, definitely, definitely uh, some pretty good talent, show of talent there. It's kind of funny too because he's he's tried a couple shots in uh, some games where he's he's taken a couple long blasts and they just go way over and I'm telling my friends oh well that's why he's uh, that's why he's defensive midfielder that's why he's not up at the top <laughs> and then he puts that screamer in I'm like geez what was I talking about <laughs> shoot away <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I definitely I like seeing him shoot shoot from out there it doesn't seem like uh not a whole lot of time, not very many opportunities for us to do that. We usually try to get a little closer, so it's nice to see those from out, out far, you know? Yeah, that it is. So we'll get into the second half of play now, and, uh, you know, at least Phoenix comes out on the right foot to start the second half, uh, get a good shot uh, in the 54th from Sam Hamilton, uh, just over the top uh, from the right side of the box, and then obviously the big play comes two minutes later. Guys, how does Didier Drogba at 39 years of age, go through five defenders and is able to bring the ball across his body, back across to the other side, strike into the back of the net for a 3 nothing lead. I mean, just, I'm amazed at what he can still do at 39 years of age. He's Didier Drogba and he does what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> that he is, you know. Keeping the pressure up. Jason Johnson got a couple of shots off there. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, unfortunately, he gave up a goal in the 60th minute. Augustine Williams uh, gets a shot from close range. Uh, unfortunately, no chance for Josh Cohen to get that one. Uh, 3 three one lead at that point, obviously. You know, I think, obviously, at that point, they knew, you know, what was going on. They knew where they were at. And they knew, what, you know, what was going to happen. And then, obviously, uh, 75th minute, Matt Watson gets a goal, uh, you know, right-footed shot from the center of the box into the bottom right-hand corner of the net. 
uh, Hamilton had no chance at getting that ball, and it's 4-1. And obviously, then at that point, they're just playing out the string. Drogba had another shot, 84th minute. Jason Johnson had another shot uh, in in uh, extra time. Uh, you know, but they pretty much just played out the string at that point. Uh, ends up with a 4-1 win, like we said. Obviously, at that point, we knew pretty much what Phoenix's fate was. So, proud of the boys for the result that they put together. I mean, 58 points on the season. None of us, uh, even when we had gotten to that point where we were talking about you know, where they were going to finish points-wise. You know, we still, none of us thought they were going to ever reach that level. And, you know, to finish on such a streak, you know, as they have to end this season. I mean, you know, I've heard on a number of different telecasts, this is a dangerous team that you don't want to play. And I agree with them completely. You don't want to play this Phoenix team no matter what the situation is. No, and we've proven that ever since Carteron came in. And just to get a sense of how well we did finish, you know, a lot of us have been talking about fifth place in the West, fifth place in the West. Okay, well, there are 15 teams. It's kind of impressive, but they're still four ahead of us. If we have a 30-team table, we finish sixth overall in the league. The only team better than Phoenix Rising on points in the Eastern Conference was Louisville City. So we were sixth out of 30 teams. If this is the English championship that we're talking about, we make it to a promotion playoff with our 58 points. And the next closest team to us, I believe, was four points lower. Uh, that would be Charleston with 54. So we are pretty clearly in that upper echelon. If you're talking about teams that are higher than us, I mean, Real Marks finished with 67. But then, you know, two through five ahead of us are 62, 62, 59, 58. So, I mean... Since Carterones came in, we've been on the best form in the league. And, you know, you have to look at this season as we are in that top tier of teams in the league. We didn't just scrape our way into the playoffs. We've been playing some elite football these last couple months, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, who would have, who would have thought that would be the – we'd be talking about this at the end of the season, you know what I mean? Um Definitely, there was a lot of development when Carderon came on, and he's really grown that roster. And the we have such great depth too. It's just uh, night and day difference between what we saw earlier this season too, compared to now. And hopefully that, uh, and it's looking like that will continue through the playoffs as well. With that being said, I guess uh, let's go ahead and get into the preview for Swope Park. We're going to be traveling to Swope Park next Saturday night. Uh, let's look at those standings here. Swope Park is in fourth place. They have the same record as uh, Phoenix Rising with 17 wins, 8 losses, 7 draws, uh, with a goal differential of 18, where we have 13. Um, they've been in pretty decent form lately, uh, although in the past five matches they did have a, a loss against Oklahoma City two matches ago, and they had a draw against Rio Grande Valley. Um, and their wins are coming from Seattle 2, Los Dos, and Colorado. So, um you know, my personal opinion here is that, uh, especially given the way Phoenix Rising is playing right now, uh, should be pretty pretty good match, and they should fare pretty well. Yeah, I would agree there. Uh, by the way, just so you guys are all very aware of the start time, it's going to be a 5.30 Mountain Time kickoff, uh, so 7.30 in Kansas City. So definitely make sure you put that one on your calendars or whatever smartphone you're using nowadays, uh, whatever suits your fancy. But... 5.30 kickoff, and then if you look at the two matches we played against Swope during this year, 
we haven't played them in a really long time. We haven't really played them since Carterone was able to really get a system in place. And, you know, before some of the guys that we've had in our roster have even, you know, before they even got on our team. So the first match was back in April. We won 4-3 at home. 4-0 in the 78th minute. And then they gave a pretty questionable straight red card to uh, Cody Wakasa that kind of turned things around. Ended up getting a few goals, making it close, but we won 4-3. And then the other match we played against them, I believe, was June 18th, and that was in Kansas City. We battled back from two 1-0 deficits in that match, Didier Drogba scoring both the goals. And that match is most notable to all of us because of how atrocious the refing and commentators were on that feed. But uh, in spite of that, we found a way to get a draw on that one. Uh, I think I had one of the more uh, wild, unhinged rants after that match. But players to watch would be Carlton Belmar, who is in the running for USL MVP. He has 14 goals on the season. Uh, Nansel Selbel has nine goals, quite a few assists as well. Uh, Lebo Moloto, I know he scored against us in the match in Kansas City. Uh, those are the, some of the people to keep your eyes on. Um... I don't know if you have anything else to add. I think the biggest name to know would be uh, Belmar because he's bounced around, and no matter what team he's on in USL, he really makes things happen. So uh, they'll probably stick with Adrian Zendejas in goal too. Yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a tough task in itself with Zendejas being in net. Obviously, he's. You know, he played well for that club all season long. He's only given up 22 goals in the 22 appearances, so obviously, you know, doesn't give up a lot. Um, like you said, Carlton Belmar. I mean, that guy has always been a thorn in Phoenix's side, or, you know, even back in the Arizona United days when he played in Portland. Uh, was always a was always a tough competitor there. Uh, Selbol, like you said, is another guy that's going to be huge to watch. You know, um, obviously a win and a draw against them has been huge. You know, gives them the confidence to, you know, to go ahead and, and, and be where they're at. I think the interesting thing is going to be now, what is the lineup that, that Patrice is going to send out? Um, so we saw Amadou Dia in the back last night. Does he stay there? Does he play in the midfield? Um, obviously interesting to see what Drogba's role is going to be. The last few weeks, Drogba's been playing a 10 role, which is interesting. Does he go back up top? Does Chris Cortez go up top? Uh, you know, Alessandro Rigi obviously is going to be back in the lineup and is going to be a force to reckon with. You know, who plays You know, who plays on that side opposite of, opposite of Rigi? Is it, is it Jason Johnson? Is Johnson coming off the bench? You know, a lot of questions this week. It's going to be interesting to see the lineup that he puts out on Saturday night against uh, Swole Park Rangers, you know, but I, and I know Patrice is going to have some tough decisions, but it'll be interesting to see where he goes with them. It, it definitely will be. Uh, one other thing that might be worth mentioning too, in the 2016 USL playoffs, Swole Park actually won the Western Conference and made it to the USL Cup uh, where they lost to Red Bulls 2 in the final. So, even though there is a lot of turnover from season to season, they're going to have quite a few players that had that experience last year 
and they actually got to the USL Cup as a four seed in exactly the same position they're in right now. So uh, they will be a more playoff-tested team than a, a Reno, for example, or even a San Antonio, as far as an experience standpoint is concerned. So let's go ahead and uh, review some final scores over this week. Jeff and uh, Dominic, do you want to get into that? Yeah, let's wrap up the last week of the uh, regular season for USL. Um, on Tuesday, Richmond had a, a one nothing win over Bethlehem. Uh, Wednesday, obviously, the big result, San Antonio had the 2-1 win over T2. Swole Park Rangers, the 2-1 win over Seattle, which basically set the playoff fade for Phoenix. Uh, Thursday, it was Tampa Bay over Orlando, 2-0. Friday, a, a, a meaningless game, but an interesting game nonetheless. It was Orange County beating Vancouver 4-3. Uh, Irwin Parra had a, had a brace there that led Orange County to the victory in that one. On Saturday, it was... Uh, Rochester over New York 2-1. It was Charleston 1, Charlotte nothing. Pittsburgh and Ottawa had a 1-1 draw. Louisville beat Richmond 3-1. FC Cincinnati beat Toronto 4-3. Colorado Springs got a brace from Burt and a brace from Freighter and a 4-2 win over Tulsa. Uh, Guzman got a brace for San Antonio and a 3-1 win over uh, Rio Grande Valley. Uh, Salt Lake City capped off its campaign with a 2-1 win over LA Galaxy. Uh, Reno and Sacramento played to a 2-2 draw. And then uh, games that happened on Sunday, it was Bethlehem 1, St. Louis 1, and Oklahoma City. A big win for Oklahoma City, getting a 3-1 win over Seattle Sounders 2. Miguel Gonzalez, Wojcik, and Angulo had goals for Oklahoma City, which propelled them to the number 6 seed in the Western Conference playoffs. And with that, uh, Matt, why don't you run us through the final Western Conference standings, and uh, we'll get into the playoff picture. All right, so uh, Real Monarchs obviously going to hold on to first place there. They finished with uh, 67 points. Second place was San Antonio at 62 points. Uh, third place, we have Reno. Uh, they were at 59 points, so here in the third to fifth place is pretty close, even second to fifth. Um, Swell Park is in fourth with 58 points. Phoenix is also in fifth with 58 points, and like I said, Swole Park and Phoenix have the same uh, finishing record there, uh, difference of five on the goal differential. Um, and as you mentioned, Oklahoma jumped up to sixth with their win, and they are sitting there at 49 points. Tulsa Roughnecks at uh, seventh place with 46 points, and Sacramento Republic, um, interesting, they finished in eighth place with 46 points. So uh, we kind of were talking before the podcast if uh, Colorado maybe would have uh, – picked up another few points, uh, would have taken that spot from Sacramento, and they would have finished outside of the playoffs, so that would have been interesting. But that didn't, didn't happen, so uh, that rounds off the top first, uh, the top half of the table. So then we get into the second here, and Colorado Springs is in ninth place with 44 points, just two points out of the playoff picture there. Uh, Orange County is in 10th place with 43 points. Rio Grande Valley in 11th with 35 points. Uh, 12th place is Seattle Sounders, two at 31 points. 13th is Los Dos at 29, Vancouver Whitecaps at 14th with 24 points, and Portland Timbers 2 still sitting there at 15 points at the bottom of the table. Um, so kind of interesting. We a little bit of shuffling around in the top half of the table uh, with some results this week. Uh, so now we have a full playoff picture um, already established. USL released uh, the timelines and dates and uh, all the um, match setups. So uh, let me just kind of run through that real for you real quick. So I'll, 
for the Western Conference, we have our first match on Friday um, at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. It's uh, Real Monarchs versus Sacramento Republic. Um, Saturday, we have the remaining three matches for the Western Conference. We have Reno versus Oklahoma City, San Antonio versus Tulsa Roughnecks, and Swope Park versus Phoenix. And again, that one is at uh, 8.30 p.m. Eastern uh, at Swope Park. And then we get into the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs here. Uh, Friday night will be Louisville versus uh, Bethlehem Steel at 7.30. Saturday, we have the three Eastern matches of Rochester versus Charlotte Independence. Uh, Charleston Battery versus New York Red Bulls 2, and Tampa, Tampa Bay Rowdies versus FC Cincinnati. Um, so definitely some interesting matchups, um, which let's kind of talk about this for a minute. What are your guys' uh, predictions here? Who do you think is going to make it into the Eastern and Western Conference uh, Finals and into the Finals for the USL Cup? Yeah, um, I mean... I haven't been following the Eastern Conference as much, but I do know Louisville City is the team to beat. Uh, they've had a very strong record against, you know, FC Cincinnati in those rivalry matchups and just in general. Uh, and then they could, I mean, I don't really see them struggling against Bethlehem at all. Maybe, maybe if Rochester or Charlotte can give them a tough time. But you got to think Louisville City is going to be in the conference finals. That's usually the hurdle they've struggled to get over. And then. You know, as far as the bottom half is concerned, those are some really interesting teams because Red Bull 2 in the 7 position won the USL Cup last year. So this year they're in 7, but very dangerous team with a lot of experience. And their goalkeeper, Ryan Mira, actually went to Fordham, my alma mater. Uh, Charleston had a very good season, kind of out of the blue, uh, but then they don't have that same kind of playoff experience. So I would see that as a potential upset. Also, Tampa versus FC Cincinnati is going to be an awesome game. That's one I definitely want to see what the atmosphere is looking like at Al Lang Stadium in Tampa. I like the winner of that matchup to get to the conference finals, and I think it's going to be Tampa. So mine will be Louisville-Tampa. And then uh, out west, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we can run through these Eastern Conference, just the two finalists first, and then take it slower with the Western Conference, because I kind of want to go through these first-round matchups one at a time. But Yeah, no, I agree with you there. And I same as you, I haven't been following the Eastern Conference as much, um, so I think I have kind of similar opinion, opinions as you do. Uh, the only thing I'd say is, I'd, you know, Tampa Bay's been playing well. I'd, I'd like to see uh, see how FC Cincinnati does. I mean, uh, they've, they've played some pretty... Uh, high pressure games this season, so I think uh, USL playoffs they should they should be pretty good there. Uh, too bad they're not playing at at home though, because that that crowd at FC Cincinnati is pretty electric. That would definitely give them that little push. Uh, but yeah, again, Louisville should just make it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. I I would say. What are your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Uh, I I think Louisville is the team to beat there. I mean, they've had a they've had one of the most consistent seasons uh, in USL this year. Uh, I agree with you guys both in the fact that I think the winner of that Tampa Bay FC Cincinnati game gets to the Eastern Conference Final. I, I kind of lean towards the way you're thinking, Matt, and the fact that, you know, I like I like my chances with FC Cincinnati and Mitch Hildebrand. Uh, if, if you're playing a one-game playoff uh, straight up, I mean – 
like you said, you look at what he's done in the Open Cup, and I think the Open Cup is more pressure, especially two games. You know, when you play a game against the U.S. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, an MLS side and then an NASL side. Um, you know, to get to where they were, I mean, just unbelievable. Um, but you know, I I I like FC Cincinnati's chances. I mean, they've I know they've struggled, but I know they've got a couple of good players. You know that they didn't have at points in the season. Obviously, uh, the Jibby Fall, you know, sat out a, a whole bunch of games in the early part of the season because he had been handed a six-game suspension by the league. And I think, you know, they some of the points that they lost there would have helped had it been, you know, they, they had the ability to have him in the lineup. I think they could have been a four or maybe even a three seed and, and could have been contending, uh, you know, for home spots there, but you know, I, I agree with you. I think Louisville is the class of the East. I think they probably are the team that comes out, but I think they play FC Cincinnati uh, in the in the East final, in my opinion. Hmm. Just a, just a little side note about Tampa Bay. I don't know if you guys have seen their uh, Twitter support group, uh, a cat group, the Tampa Bay Meowdies, or I think it is called. I don't know if you guys see that. It's pretty not. funny. <laughs> just if you guys want a good laugh, it's. Uh, they're pretty funny. They post some funny photos, and they have uh, cats that they take to the practice and stuff like post pictures. Uh, it's kind of funny. Just thought I'd throw that out there. So they have uh, all kinds of supporter groups for that team. But uh, so, anyways, with that being said, let's uh, let's get into the Western Conference and kind of go. Uh, let's break down each game here. So the first one is uh, Salt Lake versus uh, Sacramento. Um, yeah, let's. I mean, my thought here is going to be Salt Lake. What about you I guys? I think, I think this is a serious upset potential kind of matchup. That might be a hot take, but let me explain why. Last year, Sacramento won the Western Conference. They were the number one seed, riding the wave of regular season success, and Orange County Blues knocked them off that pedestal. First round defeat. I think they lost in penalties for that matchup, and a lot of those players at Sacramento. Uh, we're back for this season. Um, the other thing, too, it's tough to quantify, but I do feel like these independent clubs uh, put a higher emphasis on the postseason than some of the MLS 2 sides. Uh, and the fact that, you know, the uh, the Real Salt Lake MLS side has actually finished the season pretty strong. Uh, maybe they won't send as many guys down to join that team as they otherwise would have. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that Real had an unbelievable season. It doesn't change the fact that they still have Chandler Hoffman. They still have a ton of other uh, attacking options. Willito Hernandez, uh, great goalkeeping. But in a one-game situation, Sacramento has shown flashes this year. I think they're going to pull it out. It might go to PKs. I think they're going to pull it out. That's that's my upset special. Yeah, this is a scary 1-8 game. It really is. I mean... Sacramento's better than that 8 seed. They they are. I agree. Yeah, they, I, kinda, I totally they agree. They kind of fumbled you, to the finish line this you know, the, the season. They were pretty... I mean, they were solid earlier season. Just towards the end, they just kind of stumbled into the finish and just uh, barely squeaked by in that 8 seed. But uh, they're definitely capable, like you said, of an upset, huh? I mean, we've seen we've seen Sacramento's form at times this year. Just like you said, it's been up and down and up and down. And we don't, at times, you don't know which Sacramento team you're getting out there. Um, 
But if they like, play the way they did like against us a few Dominic. weeks, I mean, they could beat just yeah, about anyone. I and then, totally, they, then they lose two and draw to I end totally the season. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're not sure which team you, you're just not sure which team you get. You, you know, could this be an upset? Yeah. Do I think it'll happen? Probably not. I mean, yeah, the the selfish side of me wants to see a home semifinal against Sacramento instead of traveling to Rio Tinto, you know, right. to play <laughs> Salt Lake City in the semifinals. That's obviously what we all want. But, you know, right. do, you, know, you know, do you think with your heart or do you think with your head on this one? And, I, you know, to me, I think, you know, I think you probably got to think with your head and you, you got to know that Salt Lake is going to come out guns blazing and, I think they probably take it maybe like a two-one, you know. I think maybe something late, something late from Salt Lake City squeaks them by. We'll see. I mean, at least we can all agree that's going to be way more competitive than one versus eight would indicate. Yes. Yeah, definitely agree there. All right. Yep. So then that'll that'll take us into the match that we all want to know about is the Phoenix Rising versus Swell Park. Um, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, we've played the Swope Park twice this season. Uh, Phoenix is in top form right now. Um, Swope Park is, uh, you know, they're having a pretty good, pretty decent run here towards the end. Um, you know, I don't know what else to say here other than that, uh, you know, I'm expecting hopefully that Phoenix will continue to play at the level they have been and um, should be able to walk away from there with, with the victory. It's going to be challenging, though, you know. Yeah, I mean, this one, you have to think that Swope is going to be kind of upset they couldn't get any any wins against us in those two regular season games. And I think a lot of lesser teams, or teams that don't kind of have the team depth and the mental strength and the really strong coaching that we have would lose this match, potentially by multiple goals, because Swope has a very good home record. But we have Drogba and we have great squad dev, and we have Patrice Carterone, and we have his defensive system in place. This is going to be a tough match, um, but I think we can get out of this one if if uh, we don't suffer a stupid penalty call or something unlucky like that, like a deflected goal that knocked us out of the Open Cup. As long as we don't suffer some dumb bad break like that, I think we're pretty good in this match. I, I could see... I could see like a 1-0 or a 2-1. And the thing that gives me optimism here is that even in good matches for Swope, they've conceded against teams. They were down 2-0 to RGV. Uh, you know, they conceded 6 to us in two matches. So that that makes me think we can come away from this. It might go to extra time, but I'll say I'll say we win by one goal either 1-0 or 2-1. I mean, yeah, even you know, even in their game on Wednesday, they gave up an early goal to Seattle uh, to put them behind the eight ball a little bit. Uh, you know, one nothing down within 40 minutes. You know, I think I think the key to this game is we've got to come away clean in the first 20 minutes of this match. We can't, like you said, we can't give up something stupid. We can't give up something silly early. But you know, we come away first 20 minutes clean, no problems. I think we can pull it out. I, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think whether it's a one nothing or a two one win, I think we pull something out. You know, I think, like you said, you know, Drogba makes a huge difference. I think the back line is is as solid as it's ever been all year long. 
Josh Cohen, I, you know, is up to the task. I think he's going to make some big saves down the stretch here as well. You know, don't be surprised if you see some sort of magic from him late that, that saves the game and sends them to the semifinals. So we're all going Phoenix Rising in this one. <laughs> Stunner. Yes, uh... <laughs> okay. Uh, we probably want to get to Tulsa next, and they're playing. Or actually, let's do let's do Reno versus OKC. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I'm gonna go Reno on this one. Uh, I mean, they've just been they've been pretty strong, pretty solid all season. So um, I think Dane Kelly will continue his, his scoring ways, and they'll I think they'll zip through this. Not fairly easily. I mean, it'll be challenging for them, but uh, yeah, I would expect to see Reno advance in this matchup here. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think Reno was uh, obviously in much better form than than what they were at the beginning of the year. Obviously, they suffered, you know, such an early stretch, and and a lot of that might have been basically just getting to know each other, you know. But obviously, when you've got Dane Kelly and you've got Antoine Hoppenot. Uh, you know, two of the two of the top scoring uh, players in the league. I mean, obviously Dane Kelly, the the uh, Golden Boot winner. You know, with 18 goals on the season. Obviously, you know, you got a key on him. Interesting thing, I think, for Oklahoma City, and you harken back to when Phoenix Rising played them earlier in the season. They lost one of their best strikers in Wojtek Vojic uh, to a to a broken arm. He comes back in the last game here today and scores a goal that gets gets them to sixth place. It'll be interesting to see how he kind of factors into this game, being that he hasn't played a lot down the stretch, and how he was going to be looked on early in the season as a as a big cog for Oklahoma City. Uh, you know, that'll be interesting to watch. I think that matchup between him and Dane Kelly, you know, or even him and Antoine Hoppenot, how that's going to all play out and and, and shake out. I think Reno wins this one. I think the the home field advantage plays a big role for them. Yeah, I, that's the home field is going to be big. They're going to get a sellout. It should be the biggest thing going on on Saturday night in Reno. And uh, I mean, when you look at these teams, OKC has been on a good run of form lately. Um, I think four straight wins to end the season, which is pretty damn impressive. They were at a spot maybe a month ago where. You're really wondering if they're even going to get in the playoffs. And now they get into top six. That's a big accomplishment. But they even jumped Tulsa right at the end, their rival. But, uh, you know, when it when push comes to shove, Reno at its best is a better team than OKC at its best. And it's not particularly close. Reno has the best goal differential in the league. They have Dane Kelly. Uh, they've, you know, basically been the best team in USL since, you know, mid-April. So, I mean, at home, it's going to be pretty darn cold there, too, on a Saturday night. Um, you gotta, you got to like Reno in that matchup. Yep. <clears throat> so then we'll get into the final uh, Western Conference playoff. Uh, San Antonio versus Tulsa Roughnecks. So uh, Dominic has a little bit of skin in this game here with the Pepper Challenge. So uh, I think he'll be watching this, <laughs> this match pretty closely, huh? It, it is, <laughs> and uh, bad news for my tongue. Uh, Tulsa doesn't have much of a chance at all in this. 
I think Colorado <laughs> Springs is, you know, a team that would have been better positioned to give San Antonio a run for their money had they made the playoffs. They made a lot of uh, late season additions with that playoff push in mind. Unfortunately, they just missed out, didn't pan out for them. Um, but Tulsa has kind of struggled down the stretch. They're another team like Sacramento. Did they peak too soon? Possibly. Uh, and, you know, it's basically what they've done this season is so incredible already to come from being the worst team by a mile to getting in the playoffs. Anything else would just be cherries on top. And, you know, San Antonio is the kind of team that can score on Tulsa. And I don't think Tulsa is going to be able to score on San Antonio. So I, of, of all the four first-round matchups in the West, I see this one being the most lopsided. 2-0 to San Antonio, and I'm not really thinking much about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Billy Forbes, obviously, you know, is going to be a huge impact for them. AJ Jaqua, uh, you know, is, is a big player for them. Diego Restrepo, I mean, you know, one of the top candidates for goalkeeper of the year. Uh, you know, I agree with you. I think this is, I agree, this is the most lopsided of the first-round contests. I think San Antonio by far and away, you know, takes this without really any real pressure from Tulsa. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with everything you guys said there. Um, just kind of looking at the, uh, the playoff bracket here and based on our prediction, uh, man, those second round of the Western conference matches are going to be pretty awesome to watch, I think. So we, you know, we're looking at possibly San Antonio versus Reno, um, That'll be that'll be a fun one to watch, and then uh, hopefully we'll be watching Phoenix versus uh, either Salt Lake or Sacramento. Um, so either way, uh, the second round for the Western Conference, I think, are going to be some awesome matches to watch. Do we just want to throw some predictions out there so that people can give us mentions yeah. and call us uh, names when we get them all wrong? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, so, do, yeah. let's do let's uh, do conference finals and who wins the West. I will say, I will say. I think we can get. I think if we play Sacramento second round, we'll beat them. I think if we get up against Real, going traveling to altitude to Salt Lake City, late October, I think realistically we're going to lose that match. I hope I'm wrong, but that's just how I see it going. I think that's a brutal place to have to play. Um, but if we can get Sacramento that second round, which is what I'm calling, um, I like us to get to the finals, and I like us possibly to win the whole thing um it just it just looks so good for it's that san antonio reno is gonna be wild if that's how it ends up san antonio has just had such a strong defensive season i think bad news for my uh tongue i think they're gonna win the west this year because their style really uh suits them well for playoffs and they'll have home field Almost all the way through. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, looking here, and I agree with you too with the Phoenix Rising. I mean, if we get Sacramento, uh, we'd be playing here at home, and uh, we play really well at home. Um, so that would be good. That would be favorable for us. Uh, if we do have to travel to Salt Lake, uh, that could be problematic. Um, but. You know, the last time we traveled up there, that was a completely different Phoenix Rising, too. So, um, you know, I'm kind of more on the optimistic side here. So, of course, I'm going to have Phoenix Rising going all the way. Um, 
no matter the result, I think the fact that they made it made it to the playoffs this season, um, in my opinion, is a successful season, especially just the amount of changes they went through this year. But uh, I don't want to get too much into that right now. Um, so I see Phoenix going to the Western Conference Finals, uh, and then San Antonio, I would agree. I think it'll be San Antonio versus Phoenix, um, which will be great for the Pepper Challenge for you to watch that one. And... Um, yeah, like I said, I'm going to go with Phoenix. Obviously, I'm a little optimistic. I'm optimistic, and uh, just the way they've been playing their form lately, um, I think they are one of, if not the most dangerous teams in the USL, especially the Western Conference right now. Yeah, I would say I would agree with you, Matt, and the fact that I think it would probably be a Phoenix San Antonio Western Conference final. I think whether it's Sacramento here or whether it's Salt Lake City up there, I think. Like you said, Phoenix Rising is a dangerous team to play. I don't think you want to face them right now. I don't think anybody wants to face them. And I don't care whether you're at altitude. I don't care whether you know you're playing in 90 degree heat. You know, I think this team is built to withstand any sort of pressures that that come along. I mean, look at you've got Didier Drogba who's played how many FA Cup finals, uh, how many World Cup matches he's played in. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips has played in FA Cup Finals, you know, so you've got guys who have been there and can tell these players what it's like and what, you know, what these kinds of matches mean. You know, I think they play San Antonio in the West Final. I think they beat San Antonio on San Antonio's home turf. I know it's one of the ugliest pitches in all of USL, but I think they find a way to get it done. Now, do I think they win the, the, the entire cup? I don't know. I think Louisville might be a little bit better team. I think, you know, I, I could see I could see them going down to to a Louisville, but I could also see them beating them too. I mean, just the, just by the way the form is right now. But if I if I'm taking a Western Conference finalist right now, I'm picking Phoenix Rising with as good a form as they've been on since you know the middle of July. Yeah, and the the one the one match that I want to see though if we can get it, would be a Phoenix-Reno Western Conference Final. I think that would be, from a neutral standpoint, one of the most exciting tactical matches where you just got absolute star power on both sides. Um, Reno can just put up goals in a hurry, uh, and so it's a great clash there with the Phoenix defense against the Reno offense. And then, you know, conversely, Reno would have to be pretty locked down to uh, not concede some goals against us, so... That's the matchup I want to see. We'll see if it happens. So I think that does it for our USL playoff stuff. Uh, be sure to give us crap when this all goes haywire. And uh, if Sacramento wins, be sure to give me some props. So I think we should move to some uh, team news, right? Yeah, so uh, do you want to kind of lead that off there with uh, some news that you uh, was released this week? Yeah, there's, so there were there were a few things that happened uh, with the team this week. Early in the week, there was a very interesting uh, break on Twitter. Uh, one of the one of the firms that was competing for a Phoenix MLS design um, actually released some photos of their potential stadium bid. Um, but those those photos were, you know, deleted within a couple hours. Um, so it was kind of a quick breaking story. Catch it if you can. Uh, you know, to be to be frank, 
the renderings were really nice. Uh, and if that is not one of the options that's chosen, then I can only imagine how nice the other ones must be. Uh, but no final decision has been reached. Nothing has been publicly thrown out there yet. But it was just an interesting story because the people that caught on to that were really, really fascinated by it. Um, but that was, that was probably the big early week story. As far as other things happening, uh, the team had its open uh, training session on Wednesday, so it was nice to see that happen. I wasn't there, but I know a lot of season ticket holders went, got autographs with the players, sounded like the players were really nice. Um, if they were anything like how a few of them were with me on Monday when I ran into them uh, just hiking, then I'm sure everyone had a great night. Uh, that is That is another random thing that happened, too. I ran into... I was hiking just in Papago Park, and I run into Alessandro Rigi. Um, oh gosh, I actually have to go back and think. It was like four guys on the team. It was uh, Rigi, Ariola, um, Romilio Hernandez, and oh, and Sam Hamilton was there too. So it was it was pretty crazy. Uh, all just having a fun time, and uh, you know. Didn't, didn't fanboy too hard, uh, gave them their space, but they're having fun. Uh, I don't, they're kind of, uh, throwing rocks and seeing who could throw rocks the furthest. Uh, so this, they're just, uh, hanging out, basically living their best lives. And, uh, I wish I could be so carefree. Um, it's very cool. It just, it's nice to see that these players are real people too, uh, with great personalities. And, uh, that was nice. Yeah, there was a, <clears throat> I also saw, so just to kind of touch on the uh, rendering for the stadium, I was able to take a look at those photos before they were taken down so quickly. Um, and it's by far the best renderings we've seen so far. Um, so will be interesting to see if that's the final design they go with or if they had something uh, better up their sleeve. I mean, if they do, that would be pretty impressive because the stadium looked pretty nice um, with a kind of like a outdoor but climate controlled um it looked really good from the freeway or flying into Phoenix. Um, so that, that was pretty interesting. And then I also saw a tweet from Sam Dorr of uh, Phoenix Rising uh, discussing some custom kits. So he was saying that they finalized a custom kit design for next season, and they'll be releasing that, uh, I believe you said, like January, February time frame. So um, can't wait to see what the new kit looks like. And I'm uh, hoping that they – reveal like a third kit they he had a kind of a post about that a poll i believe it was like a month ago or kind of wanted to get some feedback on with uh, from the fans on what color jerseys they should do so uh, some of the suggestions were black uh, which i think would be pretty awesome with uh, phoenix rising and somebody also suggested a copper jersey so uh, it'd be interesting anyway so uh so we'll just have to wait a few months there i guess to see what that what the final design looks oh my like. gosh my two cents black with copper letters and copper lines. That would be sweet. Oh, yeah. please. Would be sweet. No. Please. Yeah. please. Like the Mad Decent in copper. Yep. Yeah, that would be sick. That would be so, sick. Yeah, so that's, yeah, and, then would, that, yeah. and then do that so for like weeknight games and like uh, Open Cup games because a lot of European teams will do like a black jersey for Champions League and stuff. Oh my gosh, if we could have like a third black yeah. kit 
with copper. Oh, no matter what, I'm sure they made the right choice. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, just look at all the decisions they've made so far. I know they put a lot of thought into this, I'm sure. And it seems like kind of the, you know, the kits for this year are pretty good. Uh, they kind of had to put that together last minute, I think. So uh, next seasons, I think, are going to look pretty sweet. Um, so, um, yeah, and so that's kind of the final news. Uh, I guess something else interesting last night is uh, after the attendance last night was 6,700. That puts us over, uh, put them over 100,000 um, fans this year for Phoenix Rising. So, Let's just talk about that for a second, how big of an accomplishment that is from last year. They were averaging, I believe it was like 12, 1,300 fans per game. Um, so, wow, pretty impressive. And that's even with some uh, weekday summer matches too, you know, which are pretty hard to fill up. Definitely, and I think a lot of credit has to go to, uh, you know, not just the ownership, but also the marketing team. Uh, a lot of the people in PR, they've had some really good promotions this year. They had free uh, shirts this Saturday, free cups for, I think, a game last month. They've done free posters a lot of times just so, you know, one, it's something cool for a kid to take home, but two, you're kind of getting familiar with the players and stuff. So that's a really cool idea. Um, and they've even done things, you know, that Wednesday $1 beer night. Uh, I don't know if they're going to keep it a $1 next year, but it was a great idea. Brings people in. They've had some uh, free free uh, matches for college students if they bring their ID. That's just great stuff for widening your base and you know, getting more people that are seeing the Phoenix Rising name out there. Hey, we're going to go to matches. Because what I've heard from fans this year is you know, the old ownership, they had no marketing going on around town. And now you see billboards along freeways. You see billboards along streets. You see commercials on TV now come watch Phoenix Rising, so it's uh, a big step, and, you know, I think that's where a lot of the credit has to go for the attendance. Um, what do you have to add, Jeff? Yeah, I, credit to the marketing department, obviously, a, a big change from, you know, and like I said, it's no, I've always said this in the past, it's nothing against Kyle and what he did for Arizona United and all the years that he help keep soccer afloat in Arizona but obviously you know he wasn't using his advertising to his full potential and obviously uh, you know Berkey Bakai and, and tapping into the people that he knows uh, Tim Reister tapping into the people that he knows um, you know getting a solid marketing department uh, to put things together picking up such a great person as Sam Dore in the middle of the year from San Antonio uh, to come over and, and, and do things for this club you know, not just this year, but, you know, already focusing on next year. I mean, you can't help but, you know, great things, you know, for this organization and what they've done, you know, and, and to get 100,000 fans to show up in the building, unbelievable for a season, and especially for, you know, for putting a stadium together in, in 50 days and getting people to always come out to it, you know, working on issues to get them handled quickly. I mean, obviously, you know, the first game, parking issues uh, the worst thing that can happen but obviously they fixed it they took care of the problem they handled it i mean it's it's still not 100 percent and that that's something that'll be worked on for next year you know do you look at opening up a, you know another area to make it easier for entry and exit you know i'm sure that's things they're looking at for next year you know do they have to 
to bring other things, you know, in to have that happen. Who, you know, who knows? But obviously, they're probably already starting to work on that for next year. But you know, just kudos to the to the organization as a whole as to what they've done this year. Yeah, just real quick to expand on the whole uh, earlier issues with the parking. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to uh, to use the Lyft program they have set up there. Um, I used that on the Dollar Beer Night, and that was. Um, if you guys are ever thinking about thinking about that, I would re- highly recommend it because it's so easy. They get you get your own lift lane to right basically by the gate, drops you off right there. When you're ready to leave the game, their Uber's pulling up left and right there, or lifts. I'm sorry. Um, so definitely check that out if you want to participate in Dollar Beer Night. Will do. Will do. We'll and, uh, yeah. you know, kind of a good transition <laughs> here because we've been talking about good fans. Some of the good Phoenix Rising fans in LFR, at the end of the season, uh, they came out with their uh, Player of the Year, their MVP award, and they gave it to Jason Johnson. Um so that that deserves a shout. Uh, we've been huge, huge, uh, you know, apostles in spreading the gospel of Jason Johnson on this podcast, um, <laughs> and it looks like LFR is doing the same by giving him that award. I think you guys have all heard the story about how he was benched in Reno that one night and how that turned things around, and boy has it ever turned things around. So, uh, big congratulations to Jason Johnson for that, and uh, I think we can go into into a couple uh twitter awards that we've we've uh put out there today so i know you guys are aware of mid-season when we did the risers kind of a uh, mid-season award an informal dundies so to speak and earlier today i just posted a few uh twitter questions on our twitter page and we can kind of run through those right now make it a risers part two so to speak so, I think the first question is probably the most appropriate one, since we've already been talking about it. Who is your 2017 Phoenix Rising MVP? Because LFR thought it was Jason Johnson. Our choices are Cohen, Didier Drogba, Johnson, or anyone else. And uh, Matt, you start first. Who, did you, who do you have for that? Yeah, hands down, Jason Johnson. I mean, he's been uh, such a vital part of the team this season. And uh, like you said, that ever since that Reno match, man, he has just been on fire. So, uh, yep, definitely Jason Johnson there. Yep, totally agree with you guys on that, Jason Johnson. I mean, obviously, you know, we've we've touched on it so many times, and even you just touched on it a second ago, Matt. You know, once once he had that bad game in Reno, he just turned his whole season around. Uh, you know, team team high 13 goals on the season, just one short of tying the team record for goals in a season. Uh, you know, phenomenal effort. We pray that we can keep him next year, but, you know, would love to see him uh, finding himself on an MLS roster somewhere. It would be cool to see that. So, you know, we'll just have to see what happens as time moves on. Yeah, I'm actually – I was in the minority here. Uh, online, there have been 20 votes, and it looks like 70% of that crowd is going Jason Johnson. I actually voted for Josh Cohen on this one, um, and I voted that way because I see this as a full-season award. Johnson has definitely been the best player on our squad in the second half. Uh, sorry, Didier Drogba. No offense. But uh, Johnson's been incredible, but if you're looking at this over the course of the whole season, I think Cohen deserves a lot of... Uh, of a lot of credit here because you know early in the season 
he kept us in some matches we had no business staying in. Um, keeping us in matches, we were able to come back and win. Some narrow 2-1 kind of matches and really held our defense, kind of saved them a few times. And then as the season went on, it's true he wasn't getting starts for about a month there uh, when Carl was getting some good run uh, before he suffered that unfortunate injury. But Cohen comes right back in and steps in there and does incredible for us on that big Northwest trip that we were talking about all year. To me, I think he gets this award, but I certainly understand why everyone's going Johnson on this one. So uh, let's see. Next one, best win of the season, and the choices are 3-1 win against Sacramento Republic, our 4-0 away win to Vancouver, our 2-0 home win against Monarchs, and our 4-3 recent win over Tulsa. Which of those four is the best win of our season? Hmm. Uh, Jeff, do you want to take this one first? <laughs> I, I, I'm just I seeing this question now. So. <laughs> I, 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 I wish there was a fifth answer, but you can you can give another. Isn't you can give another. So, I mean, I mean, if I want to give one, I think it's the two-one win in Colorado Springs. Um, yeah. You go back to that game. It had the one-nothing lead from the Dia goal. Then they come back and score, eighty-third minute. We could have died and just taken the point there, but to come back and get the goal in the 89th minute to get the three points there was huge. And I think that was the win that kind of propelled everything down the stretch the way they played. I think it gave them a new level of confidence because at that point their road record really wasn't that great. You know, they had only won two games on the road at that point of the season. And if, the, and if they just get a draw out of that Colorado Springs match, I think a lot of what happens after that match doesn't really happen. I think their their whole attitude and their whole mentality is different from that. I really like that. That's a great answer. Yeah, <clears throat> I would agree with that. Um, yeah, no, that, that's pretty solid, Jeff. Uh, I would say out of the four choices that are there, um, I would probably say the Sacramento 3-1 um, three to one, three one victory. Um, just kind of looking at this here, the matches before that was a 1-1 draw against Orange County, 1-1 versus Rio Grande, 2-0 victory against Los Dos, and a 1-0 loss against San Antonio. So this was kind of uh, the beginning of the when Phoenix really started to display a really strong um, effort out there. Um, so it, to me, kind of validated Phoenix Rising uh, playing Sacramento, who was much higher in the table at that time as well. Um, so that was a pretty important victory at that time. But uh, I think in, I think I'm going to agree with Jeff on his answer, though, against with the Colorado Springs match. Yeah, you know, when I was thinking of matches, I was kind of thinking of it as far as, like, which ones did we just have, a, like, an awesome performance in? Because I'm with you yeah. guys as far as importance that Colorado Springs is up there. So maybe I, maybe I could have asked that question a little differently when I put it on the Twitter poll, but, uh, you know, for me, I think it was that 2-0 over, over Real, because, yeah, we got the Sacramento win before, but Sacramento, you know, now they're an eight seed, even then they were only in fifth, so I was curious, because I knew we played Real better earlier in the season, we got that 1-1 draw, and I was like, all right, how is our full squad going to look, going up against the best team in USL? And it turned out we looked pretty damn good that night. 
It was an easy 2-0 win, a very controlling 2-0 win. They really didn't even put us under too much pressure. So as far as like 90 minutes of game action that just really blew my mind, <clears throat> for me it was that Real win. Not because we're blowing blowing them out, but just the way we were so composed and in control against a team that was way higher than us in the table. But, I, I mean, there's no wrong answer there. Um, <clears throat> thankfully, we've had a lot of games to choose from of late. So that thing, that definitely helps. <laughs> that, is um, that, is, that is true. Let's see. We'll do, do a couple other ones. Who's the most underrated hero for our team? Uh, the four choices I have are Matt Watson, Amadou Dia, Chris Cortez, and Jordan Stewart. And again, if you have anything else to add, go for it. I'm going to go with Jordan Stewart here. Um, he, I don't know, to me he's been, yeah, he's been just so solid, especially since I believe he had an injury like around the uh, end of June, July time frame. Um, and since he came back from that, he's just been so solid there in that back line and uh, has been a difference maker for us. So to me, he's kind of, uh, uh, I don't know if I would say underrated. He just kind of goes on without the attention every week, I guess, you know. But, uh, you know, we definitely notice the performances he puts in every week in that back line. So uh, my answer there is Jordan Stewart. Yeah, I agree with you there, Matt. Um, you know, all four of these guys are are definitely worthy of being voted for in this category if you look at them in different ways but you know I think without Jordan Stewart you know I don't get me wrong I think Luigi Mala is a great center back and has played fairly well in that position in the games that he's been in there but I think you know with Peter Ramage being the solid center back that he is back there the right partner with him is Jordan Stewart um, we've seen a number of times clearances that Jordan has made uh, to keep a clean sheet or to keep a game tied, you know that has been that's, that he's had an important part or important role of of helping out in, in whatever positive result that that there is. Um, you know, you, you could look at Dia in many ways. You could look at you know him being able to play not only you know in the left back position, but also being able to play le- you know that that left attacking midfield position. You know, you can look at Matt Watson as being one of the better holding midfielders that we have on this club. You know. But, you know, as much as, as much as I love them all, I think the smart choice, and I agree with you, Matt, is, is definitely Jordan Stewart. Yeah, and uh, it looks like Jordan Stewart's actually been uh, picking up some steam lately. He's up to 26%. That's a pretty even split right now between him, Matt Watson, and Amadou Dia. Right now, Amadou Dia's at 40%, but there's still a lot of time for that to change. Uh, my answer here would be would be Matt Watson um, because he's been in the lineup all year because he's been just a really consistent presence. Uh, you know, if, if he's called on to play midweek, he'll do it. He'll give you a strong 90 minutes. Uh, if he, you know, gets... If he has to sit out for a match or two to give Sam Hamilton some playing time or give someone else a chance, he'll do that no complaints, you know, uh, just a real, a real, uh, trooper for the team. And he's, he's put in some of his best performances, uh, towards the end of the season. So it's great to see him getting on the score sheet now, even though that's not what he's setting out to do necessarily. 
but he's he's been playing his role really well all season. Even when we had our defensive struggles earlier in the year, I really can't put much of the blame on him for that at all. Uh, he was always giving 110% and uh, seemed to be in the right position at the right time. But again, all of those are good choices. And, you know, the only reason I didn't say Dia is because I don't think he's that underrated. I think everyone appreciates how good he's been for us. Um, he's been immense. And that that takes us into the next question. Best non-Drogba midseason edition. Because uh, no one's really going to challenge the uh, legend on that one. So the best non-Drogba midseason edition out of Amadou Dia, Gladson Iwako, Sam Hamilton, and Kevon Lambert. Those are the four options. Who do you guys got? Yeah, I'd go with Amadou Dia out of there. Um, all those guys have been impressive. Um, but, yeah, Amadou Dia, he's been, he's been playing pretty well. Jeff? I, I'm I'm gonna go a little sideways on this one, and I'm gonna go Kevon Lambert. I mean, he's been an interesting addition to that midfield, to that holding midfield position. I mean, Miguel Tim has done a great job there. Matt Watson's done a great job there. Obviously, the addition of Sam Hamilton as well being there. But what a presence Kevon Lambert is in the middle. I mean, just a hulking in size, and you wouldn't think for somebody the size of him have the speed and the agility that he does. The number of times that we watched Lambert take a ball 30, 40 yards up the middle of the field, just look, making it look effortlessly. I mean, it's just, I. where do you find players like that? You don't find them, you know, too many places. But, uh, you know, just just his presence there alone, I think, throws throws a lot of players off and it's it's. I think it's really made a difference in this second half, uh, getting Lambert, especially in the middle there. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to agree, though, with Matt on this one and say Amadou Dia. Uh, even though Kavan has been very impressive, I think Dia has been in the starting lineup almost every match uh, since he came on. And, you know, I can really only recall one true mistake he's made in almost four months, which is a pretty great record to speak of. <clears throat> what Dia also brings is the ability to get some great balls from the wing. So a lot of times he's at left back, but you know sometimes you just have a guy that stays back there. He gets up the wing, he's very involved in the midfield buildup, and then he'll throw a great ball in for Drogba or for Jason Johnson to head home. We've seen that quite a bit this season. I mean, in fairness, we've seen that from Vasquez and Wakasa too. But Dia seems to have a knack for really getting those balls in. And he's even scored a couple goals, too. So for me, I, I think it's Amadou Dia. And the vast majority of our online voters think so, too. It's uh, it's 86% with Dia so far. Although someone someone gave Kavana a shout. So. Um, and then... <laughs> I wonder who that was. <laughs> it wasn't me yet. It wasn't me yet. I hadn't gone on voting yet. <laughs> so, uh, so looks like he'll get at least two shouts then. Um, that takes us into our last thing, which is biggest moment of the season, which I think is a little different than you know like a best win or something. Moments can just be like one moment in one game that sticks out, uh, or it can even be like a few, you know, like a ten minute stretch of a game that's just incredible. And so. 
to kind of encapsulate this, I split I split all these moments into four poles of four, and then uh, the winners will go against each other in a final poll. We actually haven't gotten that one up yet because we're still going through these other ones right now. But we split them into four categories, and the first category is a winning goals region. So four winning goals, and which of these was the greatest moment to you guys? So the categories are the Luke Rooney winner versus LA2, first win of the season, first win in our new home stadium, and it was a pretty dramatic goal against our rivals in LA. Um, Sean Wright Phillips gets two of these, his winner versus Vancouver in Drogba's debut, and his winner versus Oklahoma City. And then the last choice, A.J. Gray's winner against Colorado Springs. So, what's your choice for the biggest moment out of those four? So I'm gonna, I went with uh, A.J. Gray here at Colorado Springs. Um, that's just based on kind of what we were talking about, how that was kind of a pivotal match for Phoenix Rising. And um, so that play was obviously important as well. So that was my decision there. Yeah, I agree with you there. Obviously, we, you know, I touched on that point, you know, earlier, you know, with, with when we talked about, you know, big games of the year. But obviously, you know, I, again, I'll, I'll stress that if we don't score that goal late in Colorado Springs, we're not getting three points, and I don't think we go on the run that we go on. So, I, I to me, that is the hugest goal of the year. Yeah, and I'm with you guys. I think this may be one of the first times – as far as these awards that were all on the same page, but the significance of that goal, the fact that it was so late on, and right after they had just equalized, um, that's that's my uh, favorite of those winning goals. Uh, other categories. The next one is heroic individual efforts. So these are four heroic individual efforts, um, and then you can take your pick from these four. So the the choices are. The Drogba brace versus or at Swope Park. This is the match we ended in a two-two draw, with the crappy officiating. The same the same referee, by the way, that forgot to uh, that forgot to take I think Watson off for a double yellow against Sounders too. Um, same ref in that game, and yet we still got the draw because of Drogba's two goals. Uh, Johnson, his two goals against Colorado Springs at home. That was a midsummer match on a rainy evening. Uh, where we eked it out with a 2-1 win, thanks to those two goals. Uh, Cohen saves at Reno. So he saved a penalty in that match. He also had a really ridiculous save on a long shot in that one, and it finished nil-nil. I think that ended our our uh, streak without a shutout as well. And then the last one, the Drogba free kick at Orange County. You know, Just when it looks like we're about to go down 1-0, they get a goal against the run of play. Drogba just puts the team on his back, says, not today, we're getting out of here with something, and drills it into the right corner. So which one of those is your biggest heroic individual effort? Uh, wow, that's, that's a tough choice. Um, individual effort, I would say, I'd probably go with the Drogba free kick at Orange County to even it up. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the Johnson two-goal effort against Colorado Springs. I think that kind of really got his season turned around. I like that one too. I also chose Johnson, and it's because that one game, 
it was just a weird day. Like, it was a big thunderstorm. It played into Colorado Springs' hands. And we had nothing going in that match. And I think Johnson even came on as a sub. And he brought energy. He brought attacking. And that first goal he got, it was just like a rebound. He had to react in that split second to get that rebound touch before the keeper would have grabbed the ball. And he did it. And like... He was the sole difference between zero points and three points in that match. So that's why I went with Johnson there. But it looks like most of the people that have voted have said uh, Cohen's saves against Reno. And then 29% Drogba, 21% Johnson. So still time to vote, too. Uh, next one is the wow moments. So just four really crazy moments in this season. Um, the first one there. The four quick goals we scored against Swope, I think three of these were in a five-minute stretch. We were up 4-0 in the 27th minute in this one. It was just crazy because to that point, we had been struggling to get things going all year, and all of a sudden, Cortez is putting in a beautiful goal. Rigi's putting in a beautiful goal. Uh, it's just going ballistic out there. Uh, next option, wild comeback versus Tulsa. So really... Going from down 2-0 to up 3-2 in less than 10 minutes. That was pretty wild. And then just to finish that match off. Um, the next one, the Drogba free kick at Los Dos. This free kick was taken from like 40 yards out, if not further. And it was just a freaking missile into the right corner. Uh, and then the other one, the Alessandro Rigi goal from a couple weeks ago at Vancouver 2. Which of those is your wow moment? Hmm. Well, I think uh, I think I'm gonna go with the four goals against Swope, and part of that is because obviously we're gonna be playing Swope Park for the playoffs, so hopefully we see a repeat of that. But that was uh, that was a pretty good moment I thought this season. I'm gonna say the three goals against Tulsa. I mean, that was just. It was it you know you're coming back home off the long stretch on the road. You're still kind of fighting for that top four playoff position at that point. And 15 minutes into the game, you're walking out and you're down to nothing, and you're just going, "What the heck just happened here?" Tulsa has something to play for. We get it, but we still have something to play for too at this point. But then to see the resolve of this team turn around, and in the next 10 minutes. You're scoring three goals, and you're up 3-2. And then another five minutes later, Tulsa scores to tie at 3-3. I mean, it just went it just went crazy. I mean, that, yeah, the wow moment, yeah, I would say definitely for sure. That's definitely the wow match that's going to stick in my head from this regular season. Uh, I had a friend there, and it was like her first game. And uh, after that 2-0 you know, we're, we're trailing after 15 minutes. I'm like, well, you know, just enjoy the atmosphere, I guess. Kind of have fun. I, it's going to be really tough to come back from this. And then 10 minutes later, we're winning. And, uh, you know, people are jumping up and down, going nuts, uh, you know, throwing water in the air. So it's, <laughs> I mean, that was a wild game. I went with the Drogba free kick, though, for my wow moment. Because that goal is just absurd. I think that goal actually made SportsCenter top 10. Um, and it, it got retweeted by Chelsea's official Twitter page and, you know, got a bunch of traction. That one went viral. 
And I remember, like, right after seeing it, I had to show everyone at the event I was at, like, you guys need to see this goal. This was amazing. So that's my wow moment. But, uh, again, it looks like it's a pretty good split with the online voting. 38% are saying it's the Drogba free kick. 31% for the swoop goals. 23% for the Tulsa comeback. And 8% for Rigi. So everyone's being represented. And our last category, the heart and hustle region. So... Which of these moments most encapsulates heart and hustle on display? Uh, the first option was Amadou Dia's goal against Seattle. It was kind of a scrappy goal, but it was the go-ahead goal in that match. Uh, second one is the Cortez goal at Orange County. Uh, just sprinting to uh, get in the way of the keeper as he was kicking that ball away. Uh, Carl Wozniacki's efforts against RGV in Orange County. That's another option. Those were two matches where we really needed him in the second half. And then the Jason Johnson goal at Portland to really clinch that match, taking on several defenders, and then drilling it in. Which one of those is your heart and hustle moment? Uh, so I'm going to go here with uh, Jason Johnson goal at Portland, and I'd also like to expand on that and say any Jason Johnson goal um, throughout the season because <laughs> – Man, he is so much fun to watch. He just he doesn't give up. He's relentless, and just the the vision he has to kind of move that ball around so tightly in the box there. Um, yeah, he's fun to watch. So, I, like I said, I, I would say any Johnson goal would win there for me. I, I like the Chris Cortez goal in Orange County. I mean, how often do you see situations where a back pass goes to a goalkeeper, and uh, you know that last forward goes and steals it and scores a goal you rarely ever see that happening at any level of play but to see you know just to see Cortez hustling against his old team in his old stomping grounds get that goal get Phoenix rising going in that game uh to me that that is the the that moment there yeah and for those were definitely the top two moments for me and I ended up going with Cortez like you did, Jeff, uh, for many of the reasons you explained. And also just because that was a really a really tough match where we weren't getting too much going offensively. It was when Drogba was out. We needed a spark, and Cortez gave us that spark that almost got us to three points in that match. So I'm with you on that one. And uh, it's another one where it's very close. Johnson has 50% of the vote, Cortez with 36, Dia with 14 so I think that's going to do it for our Riser Awards. Uh, there's still a lot of time to vote on those until 2 in the afternoon on Monday. So I think even if you guys are just uh, listening to this podcast on a Monday morning, you're still going to have a few hours to vote and uh, make your voices heard. So unless you guys have anything to add, I think that'll wrap up this show. Hopefully next week's episode we'll be discussing a uh, Phoenix Rising victory in Swole Park. Have a good week, everybody, and go rising. Go rising. Thanks for listening. Go rising.